Welcome to the 180 Ministry Podcast. Please check us out at the1-80.org. Uh, the last time that we were together, uh, we, are, we are started this kind of idea, this series of looking at uh, what the church is. What does the Bible say about the church, this thing that we're so familiar with? And last time we were together, we looked at the subject of what the church is. And we discovered that the biblical message of, of what the church is, uh, is this. The church is the tangible body, the physical actual body uh, where the presence of God is made manifest in the world. And so today we are, we're moving forward and we're moving to, to what I think is the next logical step, where after you talk about what the church is, now a question that, that needs to be addressed that might seem a little simple, but I think we'll see the good news of scripture this morning. A question that needs to be addressed is, who is the church? Who is it that puts the, that comprises the church, that, that makes the church up? And so let's have a word of prayer this morning as, uh, as we begin together. Lord God, this morning as we are gathered together, Lord, we pray that your spirit would be with us. We pray that you would open our hearts and our minds. Lord, that you would be with us this morning, that you would bring us comfort, that you would bring us encouragement. Lord, that you would bring us wisdom and knowledge as we approach your word this morning. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Uh, I'm sure that that many of you have had experiences in your life, uh, as I have as well, uh, where you have maybe some sort of injury, uh, maybe some sort of illness, uh, maybe something or one part of your body at a particular moment is not working the way that it's supposed to. And what I found in my own life is when I encounter those uh, moments, much to my surprise, even though I already know that this is how it is, in those moments what we discover is that much to our surprise, our bodies are made up of complex systems that have to work together. And quite often what we discover in those moments is that when one part of our body is not quite working the way that it's supposed to, that one part of our body is suffering, that often the consequences that we suffer are enormous because it throws the rest of the system off from the way that it's supposed to be working. I can remember when I was a teenager uh, and I was playing sports and it got a little bit too rough as it often does. I took a pretty big hit to, uh, to my chest, and I didn't know it at the time because it didn't actually come through on the skin, but I had an incredibly deep bruise on my chest as a result of that, that hit that was incredibly painful. And I learned pretty quickly in that moment, when you move any part of your body, you feel it in your chest. When you lift your arms, you feel it in your chest. When you turn your neck, you feel it in your chest. When you move your legs, you feel it in your chest. And I kid you not, when you wiggle your toes, you feel it in your chest. And I'm sure that many of you have been in the same position, right? Where one part of our body is not working the way that it should, or another is injured, the entire body suffers as a result of it. 
This is a fact of life that we all know, that we're all familiar with, that if you've lived life for any amount of time, you come to experience this because this is the way that our bodies work. It's a fact that we become intimately familiar with. But it's interesting that all throughout the body, or, or all throughout the Bible, I'm sorry, the church is referred to in terms of a body. Where one of those metaphors that we bring up is the body of Christ, right? A, a term that when we bring it up, it brings kind of several different connotations with it. A few weeks ago we saw it's a term that implies the physical presence of Christ in the world. That we believe we are the body of Christ, which means in some way, because we are here doing what we do, Jesus is physically present to the world. But it's also a term that is used in the Bible because of the similarities that the church itself bears to an actual body. That the way that we function as a church, as the body of Christ, is very similar biologically to a way that a body functions. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in particular, what we see is this long and, and drawn-out argument in which the church is compared to a body. And so you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and you start here in verse 12, and then go to verse 13, and this is what the Bible says. Paul says, For just as the body is one, and has many members, and all of the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Paul uses this metaphor that many parts make up one body. That even though you and I walk around with one body, we have many different parts that comprise that one body as we experience life. I have two hands, I have two feet, I have two eyes, two ears, one nose, one mouth. My body is made up of several individual things and several individual parts. But when I refer to my body, I still refer to it as one thing. One thing that is made up of several different parts. And this is a powerful metaphor, the way that Paul uses it when he brings it to talk about the church. Where some people talk about groups within the church. Often when we talk about the church, we talk about kind of different things that function within the church. Maybe sometimes you talk about groups, positions, elders, deacons, people who are part of one group, people who are part of another group. But this truth that Scripture lays bare in front of us at the moment is that despite all of these different things, despite the fact that we are different people, part of different groups, sometimes we have different beliefs, different backgrounds, different experiences, we are part of one body. That one body is made up of several different parts that comprise the whole. It has many parts within it, but it is one body. It can't be separated. It can't be divided into what each particular part of the body does that is somehow separate from the rest. The church is one body because as Paul says here in the Bible, we have all been baptized 
into the same spirit. One body, Jews, Gentiles, slave, free, all of you, he says, were made to drink of one spirit. And it's usually at this point of the conversation where we can all agree with this. This is easy enough to see. Yeah, sure, I believe I'm part of one body. There are several different parts that make it up, and we all come together and we form this one thing. But what Paul does next in this chapter, I would argue, in many ways, can be offensive to our thinking. And the reason that it can be offensive to our thinking is because what Paul does over these next few verses is he absolutely dismantles the way that we tend to look at the world as a society. And what he challenges us to do in the church is to look at the body differently than we look at the groups of the world around us. He goes on to verses 21 through 25 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And this is what he says. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the hand or the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be what? Weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we, d- we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that has lacked it. Yet there are, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Now, for those of us who live here in the 21st century, and especially for those of you that may work in the medical field, if there are any of you um, who do, we know very simply what Paul is saying here to be true. That there are parts of our bodies that even though they might seem in, in or unimportant for us, they are absolutely vital to the way that our bodies function, where if one little thing gets thrown off, our bodies don't work the way that they're supposed to, usually at great cost to us. Have any of you ever had an appendicitis? A little tiny organ that to this day, we are not sure exactly what it does, but when it stops working the way that it is supposed to work, you feel it enormously. We're well aware of what Paul is talking about here, that sometimes parts that seem like they're not important to us, when those parts start to stop functioning the way that they're supposed to, we feel it, that there are parts of our bodies that seem weak and small and insignificant, that many times they're not weak, they're not small, they're not insignificant, and when they stop working, we notice it. But what Paul is actually doing with this part of the letter to the Corinthians is he is commenting on a very common social reality that was happening in Corinth, the place that he was writing this letter to. Corinth had a a large temple to the Greco-Roman god of healing, a guy by the name of Asclepius. It's that guy uh, there. You can see he's got a staff that has a snake wrapped around it, where if you go to a hospital today, you see this symbol. It's kind of a tradition that has been uh, carried on. And because Corinth was a port city, you would have people who came from all over the world that brought with them different kind of 
afflictions, different kind of illnesses, different kinds of injuries, all these things. And they would go to this large temple of Asclepius that was uh, in Corinth, and they would go there so that they could be healed from whatever it was that they were experiencing. And the way that the process worked, if you wanted to go to this temple to pray to this Greek God to be healed, there was a very specific process that you had to follow. You would go and you would buy what was either a pre-made plaster representation of your body part that needed healing, whether it was a hand, an arm, an eye, an ear, whatever. You could go buy a pre-made one, or you could go, if you had a little bit more money, you could go have one made specifically for you that was a much more accurate representation of your body. And they looked like this. This is a picture that I took in Corinth uh, a couple years ago. Uh, I actually think you can see Pastor Goya. You probably can't see him from Europe, but he's reflected some of the, somewhere there in the, uh, the glass. But he and I went together. We were able to go to Corinth, and they have these ruins of these body parts that they have found from all over this city. Where what would happen if you went into this city and you needed healing, you would bring a plaster cast of this body part, whatever you wanted. You would come, you would leave it on the steps to this temple of Asclepius, and then you would go hoping that you would be healed. And people did this day after day after day after day to the point that Corinth was literally littered with discarded plaster body parts all over the city. But they started to notice something, and they've noticed it archaeologically, if you can kind of see in this picture, where if you were a person that had a little bit more money, what you would do, you would go to an artisan, and they would make this plaster cast of whatever body part it was that needed healing that would be an exact match to your exact body. It would be perfectly sculpted to be an, uh, a perfect representation of whatever part of the body you wanted healed. It's not in this picture, but off to the left of it, there was a picture of a leg that was perfectly sculpted. Like if you've ever seen Michelangelo's David sculpture, that's the level of detail that it was. Somebody very rich had a problem with their leg, had a sculpture made of it to go leave here on the steps to this temple. But if you were a poor person, you had less money to spend what would happen is you, brought, you, you bought pieces that were just kind of generic. They weren't that well done. They weren't that properly made. They weren't to scale. They didn't have much detail. They were just a generic representation of the human body. And people would bring these representations to the temple of Asclepius in Corinth. They would offer them on the steps, but then the pieces would just kind of be left all over the city. And you had these plaster body parts that every time somebody walked by them, if you walked by one of these body parts and you looked at them, you would immediately know that was a rich person. They could afford to spend money on this thing and the gods probably smiled upon them more. Or you walked past one that was not so well done. That was a poor person. They didn't have as much money. And so even in the worship of their gods, this was a society that had its classes and the value that was given to people very well defined. 
that in the worship of this god Asclepius and the other gods of the Greco-Roman pantheon, if you were a high-class person, it showed. If you were not so high-class of a person, it also showed. So in the city of Corinth itself, there were more honorable body parts and less honorable body parts. Things that showed who was important. Things that showed who was less important. And this works its way into society. And from society, it often works its way into the church as well. That we deem sometimes, sometimes the, the society of the church starts to reflect the society of the world around it. And sometimes when church bodies get together to worship, we still do what the world outside us does. Where sometimes we get together and we deem who is more important and who is less important. Which gifts are more valued? Which gifts are less valued? Who deserves more attention? Who deserves less attention? But this is the beauty that Scripture has to say to this situation, 1 Corinthians 12, 22. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are what? Indispensable. What Paul says is that in this body of Christ, those of you who think you are the more disposable ones, those of you who think you may not have much to offer, that maybe you have nothing compared to somebody else, what the Bible says is that in this body of Christ, in the church, you are an equal part of this body. You are an important part of this body. To the point that I would say this. The church is a body where all are valued, where all are gifted, and where all are equally honorable. And this truly sets the church apart in the world in which we live. Because quite simply, this is not the way that the world around us works. It doesn't work that way now. It hasn't worked that way for a long time. The way that the world around us works is that society very clearly tells us from very early on which class we belong to, where we define honor and, and dishonor in our world based on things like wealth. If you have more wealth, then like the people in Corinth, you can buy a more accurate representation of your body. If you have more wealth, you are more honorable. Power, influence, all of these things we say, we look at society around us and we order importance of people based on what they have accumulated of these things. Wealth, power, influence. That that is a person's value in the world in which we live, in the society in which we live. 
And sometimes those things look differently, where it's not always that cut and dry category, where even within those categories, we have subcategories where people are more or less important based on those things. This is quite simply the way that the world has worked for a very long time. And for a very long time, the temptation of the church has been to do the same thing, to organize our society, to organize our body, to organize the people that comprise the body of Christ according to the same standards as the world around us, where honor or dishonor is based on giftedness, is based on ability, is based on things you can do. If you are a good public speaker many times in the body of Christ, you have more value than somebody who is not. It's a sad reality that I think everybody has experienced in conversation or in interaction with the body of Christ throughout our lifetimes. But the message of the Bible, the beautiful, simple, and if we could call it this way, I think offensive to society around us, the message of the Bible is that the body of Christ is not built that way. The body of Christ does not function that way. We don't place, we don't organize, we don't place the body of Christ in the same categories as the world around us, but rather we follow the biblical command that the weaker parts of the body are indispensable. We cannot do without them. To the point that we do not define our body by what is weak and what is not. We define our body simply by that which makes it up. By you. By me. By all of us. And here's the beautiful thing. It's something I believe with all of my heart. If one of us is missing from the body, regardless of whatever role we have, if one of us is missing from the body, the body is not complete. The body is not working the way that it should. The body is simply not all that it could be. Because I don't know about you, but living in the world in which we live and experiencing society in which we experience it, as I experience it, it's exhausting. The constant struggle to go from one thing to the next, from one job to the next, from one calling to the next, trying to do the things that you're supposed to do, trying to gain the status you're supposed to gain, climbing the ladder, doing all of these things, it is exhausting. And for people who have done it, for many of them, It is draining. It's not something that gives life to you. It's something that takes life away from you. And the body of Christ, purposefully, by God, is set up as exactly the opposite. Where the body of Christ does not take life away from you, the body of Christ gives life to you. And the way that the body of Christ gives life to you is when we come to the recognition that each of us is indispensable. Strong, 
weak, rich, poor, powerful, less powerful, gifted, not whatever. Each of us is indispensable. This morning, you are a vital part of the new Pasadena Seventh-day Adventist Church. Whether you're an elder, whether you're an attendee, if this is your first time in the building, it's my second time in the building, you are a vital part of the new Pasadena Seventh-day Adventist Church because in the body of Christ, each part is given the same honor. Each part is given the same respect. And when we do this, we witness to the goodness of the kingdom of God. A kingdom that does not look like the world outside us, but a kingdom that is arranged and organized differently. A kingdom that has different values. A kingdom that tells each of us, you are important. You are vital. And so this morning, it is my prayer for the new Pasadena Seventh-day Adventist Church that you see yourself as a vital part of this congregation, that you see yourself as a crucial part of what God is doing here, and that our church body will witness to the goodness of God and his kingdom. Let's pray together this morning. Lord God, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, we thank you for the call that you have placed on each of our lives. Lord, the call that you have brought each of us here this morning. You have brought each of us to this community. You have brought each of us to this body. And Lord, we, we live in a world where the message to us is often that we don't matter as much as somebody else. That there is always somebody above us. That there is always somebody doing something more than us. And Lord, the temptation to look at life that way takes life away from us. But Lord, you have called us to a different life. You have called us to a different society. You have called us to a different body. You have called us to be here, to your body, to live life as you have shown us. And so Lord, this morning, I pray that you would impress upon each of us that each of us is a vital part of what you are doing here with this church. That each of us is a necessary part of the whole. And that if one of us was missing, things would not be operating the way that it could or should be. God, we thank you for this truth. We thank you for the value that you place on each of our lives. We pray that you would show us your goodness and we pray that you would use us as a church to show the goodness of your kingdom. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Please look us up online at the1-80.org and at the 180 YouTube channel. Please reach out to us with any questions or prayer requests. Until next time, thanks for listening.